0: hello this is richard outram and welcome to the prepare for growth podcast series bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development so thank you for taking time out to join me i'm so grateful for this unique opportunity okay and in this week's podcast i'm thrilled to introduce diva diaz a global speaker and facilitator of access consciousness she held several international media and business intelligence positions such as with The Economist, Forbes, The Washington Post, and Oxford Business Group, as well as executive producer and media director for British Airways TV. These opportunities opened her view of global business and piqued her curiosity about neurodiversity and the brilliant minds behind some of the most innovative solutions in media. Diva is now committed to sharing a completely different perspective about neurodiversity. Diva holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from King's College London, And Diva's wisdom bite for this episode is understanding the X-Men of the world. Diva, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. This is fantastic. You've got a beautiful smile and um, this is going to be great. This is such a relevant relevant um, topic in the world and I'm hoping together we can shed some light on this one, okay?
1: Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Was there anything else you wanted to add to the introduction, Diva?
1: No, I think you did a great job. Oh. <laughs> I was almost like, wow, I did all that stuff. Yeah, I forgot that was so long ago.
0: <laughs> oh that's awesome. So we typically have three to four, three segments you know what have you learned? Um, what would you change and what are you grateful for? And then we'll do a quick round, okay um, But the, the main the main area here is what have you learned? So let's kick it off Diva with the, with the big question. What is neurodiversity?
1: Um, Neurodiversity, to me personally, has got to be one of the greatest gifts that one can have. Um, But it is, of course, pretty self-explanatory, it's when somebody has a diverse or different way of functioning neurologically. Um, And it can show up in many, many ways. A lot of people are diagnosed, a lot of people are not diagnosed, some people are now self-diagnosed, but the point is, you know, we have the stereotypes out there about what neurodiversity is, you know, so from um, the kind of stereotypes that we have of what we think we know about autism, ADHD, OCD, those kinds of things, but then also so many of the subtleties and the huge spectrum that actually lies behind that um, that can apply to such a big range of people.
0: Absolutely Okay, and I was actually staggered that um, it was a Stanford University study, but 46 of the US population falls into, the, into this population. I mean, that's a big, that's almost half of the population.
1: Yes, yeah. And globally, it's 20%, which wow. is also gigantic, you know, and that's a huge part of the population that if we're not understanding, we might be having a bit of a problem on our hands.
0: Absolutely and and you know the major movement I guess push to diversity and inclusion we tend to think of you know the typical race gender and and so on and um we don't talk enough about neurodiversity is my my view on this so yeah. it's a, it's a big topic. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey it is fascinating so tell us a little bit more.
1: Thank you yeah well you know I would um, I was always aware that I was a little bit different since I was a child, but I um, I had quite a colourful childhood, if you'd like to call it that. I grew up, it, uh, you know, in a household where there was just like a lot of fighting, a lot of stuff, a lot of things that kept my parents very busy, so I think a lot of the focus was on that. Um, and also, you know, they at the time weren't perhaps fully educated on neurodiversity and, you know, you just kind of got on with life. Um in the 80s, you know, now I'm revealing my age. And so I grew up just kind of making do with with what I could and just trying to get things done. But I I did know that, you know, my way of learning at school, for example, was so wildly different. I didn't get things the same way that the other children did. Um, So I had to kind of be fast on my feet and figure out how to do things. Um, And then as I went into adulthood, it it started to affect me uh, in the sense that, you know, mentioning some of the jobs that I've had as you did, they were, they were quite high pressure jobs, you know, so I wasn't sleeping a lot, I had a lot of energy, but then I'd have these crashes. And I tried a lot of different modalities and things to kind of, you know, have an easier time of it until I started reading up about neurodiversity. And then eventually, later on in adulthood, I was diagnosed with like high functioning autism. Um, So When I was diagnosed and also just when I began researching it, it was really like a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders because so much of what I thought had been a problem that I had or something that I needed to fix actually was just neurodiversity and was something that as soon as my perspective shifted, my ability with it shifted too. So rather than having it disable me, I was actually able to look at it from a different angle and... And use it to my advantage actually
0: so, so 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 Diva. i mean the fact that you are aware um enabled you to shift your perspective in in, in your view how many people are not aware that they're in, <laughs> they're in new or diverse
1: oh goodness it's hard to say i would say probably a lot but the, the lucky, I think we're in a very kind of lucky time right now because of social media and just the amount of information that's available, which of course has its pros and cons. It does mean that now there are so many more topics that are coming out that people are feeling more comfortable exposing, talking about, discussing, researching, that before you just couldn't really talk about these things. So, you know, I wonder how many people are actually wondering about these neurodiverse traits <laughs> and perhaps you know they don't feel the need to get diagnosed or, or anything like that but you know it might be giving them some kind of help knowing that you don't have to think and behave and act uh, the same way as everybody else in order to be a regular <laughs> member of society you know it <laughs> doesn't mean that you're completely weird like you're yeah. okay <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So what are the opportunities, you know, let's go a bit deeper now,, what are the opportunities and challenges for the neurodiverse population?
1: Ah, oh, so many. You know, um, I'd say the challenges, if we begin with those, range from the more obvious things, like being sociable can be a challenge. Um, fitting in is obviously a challenge, (laughs) um, but then if you, if you look at those and you're able to turn those around and you start asking yourself yourself, you know, what would I like to do here? What would actually work for me? Not how is everybody else doing this and how should I be doing it? But what would work for me? What I found is things like what could have been uncomfortable, Uh, social situations became quite pleasant and nice when I recognized that actually for me it was far easier interacting in either very small groups of people or on a one-to-one basis so when I was at conferences for example I would then know okay let me find somebody that I can interact with on a one-to-one basis and kind of put my attention on that so I would you know choose that on purpose knowing that that would make my life easier um so i think with all of these things there are pros there are cons um and you know it it really depends on your perspective
0: right you know the, the, the this conversations topic diva is very close to my eyes because I, I have i have you know relatives on the asd um spectrum okay and the, the question really is uh, when we talk about opportunity challenges. You know, they're, as you mentioned, there's societal they're societal mm. challenges, um, some of that biased and just misunderstanding or don't understand. Some of those are clearly medical. I mean, just our medical system. Yeah. And also some of those are structural, right? And, you know, traditional viewpoints about yeah. the neurodiverse populations, right? So I think what you're saying along the way, and this is the gist of this conversation, is we have to focus on the strengths and the superpowers, because yeah. I know, you know, I've got relatives, um, and they're far, one of them in particular is really far on the kind of ASD spectrum. She is absolutely brilliant, loving, brilliant, she can communicate you via iPad, and so forth, but absolutely fantastic. You give her something yeah. to do, etc, she can't necessarily communicate it. But you know, deep down, we know that she's absolutely a brilliant person, you know. So, the traditional viewpoints, tell us a bit about, you know, how as you grew up and you became more aware of um, of your situation, tell us about the traditional viewpoints, um, you know, in society about about the population.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that they're just, they're, they're really um, not designed to empower, actually. Yeah. Um, so it is a, a lot of judgment. And that may sound harsh, but I think we we tend to sometimes think of judgment as a fact, uh, which <laughs> isn't always accurate. You know, so coming from a corporate background, I remember for me personally, for the longest time, I wasn't really willing to expose publicly what I had going on because I knew how much it would be frowned upon or, or people would suddenly start to question your ideas or question your motives or question your actions, whereas if they didn't know... That you were on the spectrum perhaps and they would be absolutely fine with most of what you did so it was a bit of a you know a balancing act um, in a way but what i discovered was that the more that i was okay with myself the less i had to kind of um, feel that i needed to hide or or mask a lot of of who i am you know which is what a lot of uh, people with autism do so you know but in general I do have to say that it's not like now we're at a a day and age where people are starting to recognize that there are a lot of strengths and absolute treasures in neurodiversity but of course it's been a very long road to get there so for me it's not even so much about focusing on how the rest of the world might see you but more how are you seeing yourself which I know can sound cheesy but but it is actually so empowering. And how do you handle yourself in daily situations? So regardless of how people are judging you or viewing you or interacting with you, you still are able to stand firm within yourself and continue creating your life without being, you know, feeling like you're being kind of bounced around everybody's judgments and thoughts and feelings about you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's a great, great, um, you know, segue into the conversation because you know this is about abilities versus disabilities Right? traditional views it's a disability so I want to focus on the abilities now right so let, let's talk about that, that that's the gist of the conversation so um so why are the neurodiverse perspectives on the world so powerful you, you know you, you mentioned that you know autism OCD ADD ADHD aren't disabilities but a different way of receiving information perceiving being and communicating in the world just expand on, and I, I really want to get into the superpowers because i it's very important
1: yeah absolutely well you know i think <laughs> with all of the work of access consciousness we affectionately call these people on the spectrum in one way or another x-men because like the you know marvel films and, and comics they do have these incredible abilities, but they think that there must be something wrong with them because nobody else has the same abilities. And society is a little bit intimidated by them, perhaps, not knowing how to handle them because they've not seen this before. Um, and so they can be put down. And so you've got all of those different you know, elements uh, <laughs> competing for attention at the same time. And so one of the things that I have really, really noticed is that with... Um, with the the different way of receiving information, the way that that I perceive that is that if most of the world, say, a neurotypical person is functioning and going through life on a volume range, say of one to ten, you know, the way that they maybe perceive light sounds, receive a compliment, receive criticism, um, even have a sense of their own feelings and emotions for somebody who is neurodiverse, they might be functioning more on a range of volume, say from one to 1000. You know, it is extreme. Um, And so to me, that is actually a capacity rather than, you know, having a volume range of one to 10, not to say that that's limited, but it could be certainly a lot more unlimited if you had like a far, you know, far wider capacity to go with. And, you know, again, I know it's a huge topic that we're, attempting to talk about in quite a short amount of time so um i'm trying to kind of keep it brief in a way but um yeah i'm not sure if that addresses part part of the question
0: <laughs> oh absolutely I, I and you've also said that, you, that your differences are not a wrongness they're a gift Expand yeah. on that statement
1: yeah absolutely well you know For me, growing up, one of the things that I recognized was that where for some people, life was just a given. And what I mean by that is, you know, you go to school and you're told things, information. And for some people, it's just like, okay, great. That's information. This is what I have to do. For me, I always had to be in question like, wait, what is it we're doing? Why are we doing this? what way are we doing this? How am I supposed to deliver this? What is it the teacher is expecting that you all seem to understand that I seem to be missing something? So I had to constantly question everything. Then I got into the workplace, same thing, you know, a task would be given, most people would be like, great, I know what to do. And I'd be like, do you? Because I kind of got half of that, I think. And so that I was always forced to be in question and have a sense of curiosity with everything. Now, that could be considered something that's incapacitating, but actually that difference became a gift because where a lot of people would take things as a given and just go ahead and go, well, this is the way things are. This is how we do things. My first port of call automatically in my mind has always been, what is this? What do we do with it? How do we do it? Do we need to change something? Can we make it better? Can it be more efficient? And so I have always had that sense of questioning things, not not uh, like questioning authority. I, I don't mean that, I don't mean like in a conflictual way, but you know, just being more, um, I guess, in question about everything. And I see that so much with neurodiverse people that they are. And so with that comes a huge capacity to constantly be on the leading edge, on the creative edge of everything because where things have been a certain way for a certain amount of time and people just take that as a given you're going to have a whole neurodivergent population who are questioning it probably because they don't get what you're doing in the first place but the natural gift that comes with that is that they are now pushing boundaries and taking things forward
0: absolutely and and you know just to further that point um the belief is is that societal structures and norms are not even necessary yes <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, there have been norms that work for neurotypicals, but, you know, if we're excluding a huge portion of the population, then what could be some other norms that haven't even been explored or developed yet?
0: Absolutely. No, beautifully said. And, you know, when we talk about diversity and inclusion movements, um, you know, this is a major, major category. And the whole gist of it is our differences need to be nurtured and celebrated. And I think that's the real point of this conversation.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely
0: so so what is masking diva
1: <laughs> um, masking is something that a lot of people are great at <laughs> it yeah. is you know the way that we and you know it really isn't just neurodiverse people that do this but it's the way that we actually uh, i guess change change ourselves in some way either temporarily or for a very long time to fit in and blend in and not really stand out and particularly in the case of a lot of people who are on the autism spectrum to not stand out enough that you might become a target for judgment or bullying or you know meanness in general so um i like to see masking actually as an ability as well and i'm really not trying to put a positive spin or like throw roses at at absolutely everything I, i do understand that there are a lot of other implications with being neurodivergent but for the purpose of this conversation you know I went through life and I remember one time being actually in Peru and I I had been um with a minister the whole day and there was this conference at the end of the day and there was a a group of like middle-aged businessmen like drinking whiskey or brandy or something you know very expensive and I was sat around them and I I was kind of copying their body language and the way they were talking and I I I kind of caught a whiff of myself and I was like what am I doing (laughs) I am completely becoming these men, but this is so far from me that I actually really noticed it. And so I questioned myself and I thought, is this who I want to be? Like, could I perhaps be more of myself and still be comfortable here? Do I have to change how I am just to be accepted? Is it that important? Or could they accept my abilities and the contribution I can be to this conversation without me needing to morph into them, so to speak? And so with that, I started to realize how much actually I had been masking and and how subtle it can be sometimes and other times it's very obvious. Um, So I think, you know, masking is a topic that's kind of up for debate a lot in the world right now. And um, it is something that people are starting to discover that they do, which to me, in a way is great because it gives you self-awareness, but it is also a capacity to fit in into a lot of places. And I have been able to use masking, not to my detriment, always, (laughs) sometimes yes, you know, but very often to actually make other people feel more at ease um, and to feel them, have them feel more comfortable when perhaps I wasn't understanding things or communicating in a way that didn't work for them. It allowed me to change the way that I was delivering information um, and behaving just to create more ease in different situations.
0: Awesome. Now, beautifully said, Eva. No, thank you for that.
1: That's
0: that, that straight from the heart, I can tell, of course. It's, you know, <laughs> first-hand first-hand feedback and experience here so i'd like you to take your, your time on this part because this is there's a lot here to unpack um and this is really as i said the the most important part of this of this conversation so what is your advice to people who are neurodiverse di- and take your time on this you can take as long as you'd like because <laughs> this is important
1: how long do you have do we have a couple of days we'll, we'll <laughs> how much advice do you life. need <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is important.
1: Oh, goodness. I would say one of the the key things, which actually has been the pretty much the key target for the work that I now do, um, is to just get out of judgment of yourself if you can. And I know that that's a very big kind of like ask and a bit of a blanket statement, like get out of judgment, have fun with it by, you know, and, you know, there are a lot of tools and techniques to get there. But I think so much of what can actually stop somebody who's neurodivergent from really enjoying their life, actually, um, is the self-criticism that goes on. It's just relentless, you know. And if if anything that I can do can contribute to at least one person judging themselves less that day, then I am absolutely happy, and everything I've done has been worth it. And you know, we can look at it and we can we can think, well, I'm not criticizing myself, I'm not judging myself, this is just a fact. Look how messed up I am, or look how badly I did this, or look at how wrong I am here, or look at how much I don't fit into this group over here. Which, of course, there may be truth to that, but what if that isn't the entirety of it, you know? And a lot of neurodiverse people do have the um, incredible capacity to really focus in on something. (laughs) And very often that can be focusing in on self-judgment, thinking that if we fix that thing that we've decided is wrong with us, we're going to come out the other side with something fabulous. However, it very often doesn't work that way. So a really great tool that I like to use for any time that I can feel myself going into, well, this is just a fact. I am messed up in this area or I am just wrong is to say interesting point of view that I have this point of view. Just to remind yourself, just to take one second to unstick yourself where you are trying to, you know, force this kind of, I don't know, judgment into your world. And, and sometimes, you know, it can be, yeah, just pretty intense. So, with that tall, interesting point of view, what you're doing is you're just reminding yourself that maybe it is just a perspective that you have, it doesn't need to be a hard fact forever. It doesn't necessarily need to be the way that everybody sees you or the way that everybody experienced that moment. Just because you're perceiving it on a volume 1000, you know, doesn't mean that that's how intense it is for everyone else.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to stimulate some uh, some curiosity because um, I'm going to quote you on some fantastic questions that you you ask and you ask of yourself. Um, You know, one of them is what is going on for me here? and what else is possible here the possibility question i love it yeah that's a great question that's a fantastic question and um i think another one i'm quoting from you is what are you aware of all right you know neurodiverse population of heightened awareness that can be mistaken for being too sensitive dramatic or even extreme to expand a little bit on that on that point
1: yeah Absolutely. I mean, I have to say these questions come from Access Consciousness and before these questions, I would just spend half of my life in my head trying to figure things out. It was not a fun place, let me tell you. Um, and then I suddenly came across Access Consciousness and somebody started asking me these questions. And, and I remember the first time when this lady asked me, what else is possible? I was honestly probably <laughs> one of the worst clients she's ever had because I looked at her and I said, are you serious? do you not think that if I knew what else is possible, I would be doing it? <laughs> I thought she needed an answer. And so I was like this hideous client. I apologize now to that lady. Sorry. Um, don't know where she lives anymore, but if you ever hear this. Um, <laughs> but so <laughs> What I then actually discovered, because she explained to me, and, you know, through studying, uh, doing the classes of access and everything, I realized that none of these questions are designed for you to get an answer, which is the beauty of it. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't need to figure anything out or research anything or focus or try and learn or memorize or remember anything. So I I used this a lot in my work um, before I actually changed careers. And in every situation, I would ask, what else is possible here? Knowing that what I was actually asking was I was asking myself and even my mind to look for new ideas that I hadn't been considering because I'd maybe been focusing too much on my self-criticism that day or on how I was fitting in or not fitting in, or hyper-focusing on the fact that this person, to me, in my mind, didn't like what I had just said, you know, all these things that we do. And so by asking these questions, you start to take yourself out of your neural pathways that you already know, essentially, and you begin to open up and go, okay, so what haven't I looked at here? And it's such a, a simple, pragmatic tool, that very often it's overlooked and people are like, yeah, yeah, but give me the actual thing that's going to work. But this is the actual thing that's going to work because this is you now choosing to function mentally and psychologically in a different way. And that's how simple it is. And it's also how dynamic it is. Just like when you can maybe, you know, be following directions and you just take one degree turn in another direction, before long you are somewhere entirely different without putting much effort into it
0: absolutely no beautiful and we're gonna we're gonna keep going with a repertoire of questions that um you and access consciousness have developed I think they're fantastic um but just like many mindset shifts and and your own awareness around this um you've understood that being quote unquote different is a gift you must have at some point that shift occurred tell us yeah. a little bit about how and when that shift occurred because again we want to encourage people who may not potentially be folks who kind of look inward and, you know, try to develop the the insight and self-awareness and the self-belief. So I'm trying to encourage, how do we get people to think that way? Because you, quite rightly, and like everything else, they are beautiful gifts, all right? And and you must have had that at some point somewhere. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, I have to say that that journey begins every day when I open my eyes. It's a brand new journey. It's not like I suddenly had the awareness and now everything is a gift oh how wonderful I feel anxious this is a lovely gift it's not like that at all every single day you have to put the work in just like every single day you eat when you're hungry you don't just eat once for the rest of your life it's the same with this you know you have to feed yourself you have to feed your mind and your awareness and and the direction that you're heading and make those choices consciously and I think that's the main difference because so many of the choices that we make whether we would like to know it or admit it or not are actually unconscious they're things that we've learned they're things that culturally have just been taught to us that we kind of go along with again just accepting the norm okay this is how things are without questioning does it truly really work for me now i'm not talking about creating like a whole uh, you know <laughs> new population of like rebels it's not that but but what if you do actually rebel against things that aren't working for you and start choosing towards things that do work for you so I wish I could say to you, Richard, oh, I had this big aha moment and that was it. My life's been amazing ever since. But, you know, even two hours ago, I was just in this incredible castle in northern Italy that I manage. It's a boutique hotel filled with people today. And for a moment, I just felt exhausted, like somebody had just turned off, you know, pulled out my batteries and I was just done for the day. So I had to step out for 15 minutes, have a coffee, a bit of space, you know, sit down and go okay this is just a little bit of overstimulation with being around so many people okay what can I do now to have more ease with this and so I thought well let me connect with one person individually and so I went back inside and that's what I did and it became easier so these are tools that you know when you put them into practice every day they work and if you don't they don't much like everything else in life
0: absolutely and and diva do you have routine daily habits at all that i mean obviously oh gosh, this, this i was for all of us it's a journey for all of us so
1: it is i mean you know i know that there i know that there are a lot of neurodivergent people who thrive on routine and i'd say the only routine that i thrive on is just being absolutely chaotic um i have tried every routine i i I love going on Instagram and you know mindlessly scrolling at the end of a very long day and seeing people with like their morning routines and I'm like, yeah, I wanna do that too. And then I'm like, well, that was a great idea. It's never gonna happen. So <laughs> rather than force myself again, trying to do things in a way that other people don't, I know now that I'm terrible at routines. But the one routine that I have stuck to since I started this work with Access Consciousness it's perhaps not even a routine, but it's just, I guess a a lifestyle choice is to go into question for everything. It is the one saving uh, tool that I can, you know, I guess rely on because it's one thing that I don't need an outside source to give me anything. I don't need to think, oh, if I didn't do this at 6am, I'm now a bad person, I haven't followed my routine. Now let me judge myself some more. I will go into, okay, well, what's right about this that I'm not getting or what's required here? If I am over a little bit overwhelmed and, you know, having been in a big group of people all day long, what's required here? So now I know at this point that asking any question is what will get you free of that stuck, stuckness or limitation in that moment. Why? Because you're essentially unsticking your mind and unsticking your whole energy by looking for something else. So if that can be called a routine, let's say that that's my <laughs> routine.
0: That's awesome. No, that's awesome. Uh, and, and you know, um, one of your questions, or it could be access consciousness, that I just absolutely loved, and this is in the moment. And uh, you had explained that you uh, when you ask this question, you're either going to feel light or heavy. And, and the question is, yeah. who does this belong to? And I oh, thought yeah. that was a fantastic question. And, and you can kind of you can kind of tell your physiology. You're either feeling light or heavy at the end. Of, and, and your your body will will tell you um, or give you the answer to that. So expand on that one because I thought that was a fantastic question for anyone to ask. But that was a great That's one. So amazing. tell us a bit more about that one.
1: You know, I've got to say this is like the life saving question that I I keep going. To with everything. Um, It is an access consciousness question. And um, it's basically based on, you know, the idea of what if 98% of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions don't belong to you? That's not to say that you're some kind of vacuous machine walking around that's void of all, you know, intelligence or whatever. But what if a lot of it is stuff that you're picking up around you or reactions that you've learned to have or coping mechanisms or you know, maybe you saw your parents react in a certain way in certain situations. So then you just kind of mimic that because that just comes more naturally than questioning again and asking, well, what's true for me here? And so the way to use it is whenever you've got anything going on, you've got a lot of thoughts in your head, you're kind of overwhelmed with feelings and emotions or just something isn't working. You want to ask, okay, so who does that belong to? Without trying to figure out, well, this came from three generations ago, you know, Don't even go there. There's so many people and places it could belong to. But as you quite rightly said, Richard, you will get a sense within yourself, either in your body or just an overall sense of lightness or heaviness. And it can differ from person to person. So if it's light, it just means that that thing was never really yours. So you can just return it to sender. And you literally just say return to sender. And with that, you know, it can sound weird and wild and wacky, but it works. Why? Because you are now directing your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. You're directing that energy. You're not allowing yourself to be controlled by it. You're now consciously choosing whether you're going to be doing that or not. You know, And then if it feels heavy when you ask who does this belong to, it usually means that you're trying to make it work for you and it's not something that does work for you. Because usually the things that work for us aren't heavy. Right. You know, If you truly have a lot of caring and gratitude for somebody that's never heavy is it it's it's light if you're truly happy in your job it's never like this heavy weight on your shoulders there's a lightness and, and a peace to it even if you're very busy or you're exhausted one day there's still a sense of lightness to it and so the idea is for you to start to get a sense of what's lighter for you what so what's actually true for you that actually truly is working and start to acknowledge the things that aren't working and shift them energetically in your world um, so it's such an incredibly dynamic tool, um, and there is a lot of information on on that tool uh, online. So you know, I would recommend people check it out because it's it will be like an hour's conversation otherwise. But it it is yeah, fantastic.
0: The most beautiful moment of our conversation so far. Steve, I can tell you, your hands are moving around. There's so much passion. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well done. Really well said. <laughs> Thank
1: uh, you. I
0: can tell that's close <laughs> to your heart. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And so I guess the catch-all question for this part is, so what's the gift in neurodiversity that few people acknowledge?
1: You know, I I think we're so used to um, living in a world that really praises um, similarities and really praises when things are done the same way forever because then it means you know we got it right we did a good job or you and I have got the same hobbies therefore we must be friends and if we don't then well there's nothing for us to do here nothing for us to talk about you know when you end up rejecting that person or or perhaps rejecting the job that is a little bit too creative or pushes your boundaries. So you perhaps don't feel as comfortable as you did yesterday because today they're asking different things of you. And because we do grow up in a society that values that so much, and I do know that it's changing, but I think that has actually in many ways um, given us the bad habit of really not celebrating each other's diversities enough and looking for where we are similar to see if we should accept somebody. If we should like somebody, if we should give them a chance or even listen to them, just because we're judging whether they're like us or not. Um, so the, you know, the diversity that neurodivergent people have um, to me is the greatest gift. And it's one that, in my opinion, we are only just beginning to touch on. You know, who knows what this field will be like and what information we'll have available in the next 100 and 500 years. And that's what I'm really looking at. Like, where could we be going, you know, much faster than we are right now? What questions do we need to be asking so that we can actually discover these gifts and abilities and not only discover them and go, oh, that's great, those people have that, but embrace them and go, well, could we work together? Well, could you teach me some of that? Well, how how do you do this that I've not considered? How could we apply that to this business that is already thriving, perhaps that would make it twenty times greater. You know, what are some of these questions that we've just forgotten to ask because we're so complacent and comfortable with things being the same?
0: Absolutely, Diva, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, and and it's a, just a lovely um, entree into the business world. Now you mentioned businesses, so <laughs> um, I do want to touch on that because that's a big part of when we talked about societal structural and maybe medical, right, the structural part of this, there's a big part that businesses can play, large or small, um, in understanding neurodiversity and how how it, you know, enhances from a competitive advantage standpoint, the the world itself, right, even through business. So how can businesses harness the superpowers of talented people um, within neurodiversity?
1: Possibilities are endless, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I think, um, I think the fact that, you know, businesses are looking at this uh, is just revolutionary in many ways. So I'm excited to see, you know, what will come um, in the following years. And I know that there are a lot of programs that some companies are starting to implement where, you know, they are looking to employ a lot more neurodiverse people and they are doing so. And in doing so, you know, increasing their profits and their creativity in so many, so many different things. And I'd say one of the key things is really empowerment, but not empowerment from this false sense of, I've got to give you positive feedback because, you know, it's part of our program, or my boss told me so, or because yep. I don't want you to feel like you're not included. But true empowerment, which again comes from asking a question, um, which is, hey, I'm listening to you. Like what ideas do you have? Even if even if in the social setting, which might be a meeting um, or a conference, you're not the person who's raising your hand and having, you know, those conversations out loud, doesn't mean that you don't have those ideas. So we are going to now listen to everybody. So what is it that you are aware of here? What do you know? How would you change this? And again, not just from an upward, downwards uh, way, like say, you know, managers, asking staff or, or, you know, the same kind of people but really going across a business horizontally and asking everybody like who are the people that perhaps are not being heard that might have great ideas just but you know they might have a different way of communicating them or they might not even have the confidence because perhaps nobody before has bothered to really listen to them or let them know that their ideas have any value. Um, so yeah so many ways but I would say that that's a great place to start.
0: Absolutely, and you know, businesses in general, we're, we're learning. I've had over three decades in the business world, right? So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's only from my experience that uh, we're not curious cats in the first place. <laughs> we we yeah. don't we don't ask, you know, it's you know about people what they're aware of and what they're perceiving. And here's a a fantastic opportunity to really kind of get very diverse perspectives, right? Um, yeah. By those two questions, what are you aware of? You mentioned that just now. And what are you perceiving? You, you you provide the example when we first started the conversation about you know the one to one thousand of of things that could be perceived in the neurodiverse populations. I mean, how valuable, strictly from a just a business standpoint, how valuable is that, Diva?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you're always relying on the same creative minds that you know are great in your business, that's fantastic. But how much untapped potential do you have? And it doesn't mean that everybody's ideas are gonna be incredible, but you will still receive a lot of information from all of it. Yeah. You'll receive information as to, you know, whether a person is even in the right job. Yeah, Like, should they be focusing on this or do we move them into, you know, onto a different project or have them working with somebody else or perhaps do they work very, very well with someone else? Do they need some kind of mentor? Is that something that we want to explore? But you'll never get to know that unless you sit down and have those conversations, which can seem time consuming. Um, but I've, I've personally seen it in my business and businesses that I've worked with, that it, it creates absolute wonders because then you also have a group of people who, because they know they're listened to and they feel valued, they in turn now desire to contribute a lot more. Yep. And their focus has changed from, I'm just here to get my salary and I'll just make do with what I can because I don't know how to deal with people most of the time, to, okay, well, maybe if they're seeing some strength in me, let me really play to that because the thing is with neurodivergent people is that they very often do know what their strengths are because they've had to use their strengths very wisely you yes. know their whole lives and they're also quite aware of what their strengths are not whereas a lot of neurotypicals may not so much they they may think to themselves well i guess i'm okay at this i'm okay at that but again they're not fully questioning everything whereas if you ask a neurodivergent person what are you great at they will be able to tell you you know and so it makes it even for a colleague or for a manager a lot easier to know where to place people so that they are doing valuable work that they enjoy and that they're doing perhaps 10 times better than if you had somebody else do it who wasn't passionate about it
0: absolutely so no this is great diva i'm learning so much i guess i'm in the neurotypical category i think i am um but um and i'm learning a lot here this is this is fantastic diva so um we heard a lot of things about questions what have we missed in terms of how employers can make workplaces more neurodiverse friendly? What have we missed? What, what um, else would you add to that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think again, a lot of what we've been talking about, but part of it is then putting it into practice, you know, because there's a lot of theory that goes on in business and, you know, you can have these conversations perhaps at the management level or a project leader level but then the daily implementation of staying in question and recognizing these things and and really noticing what things are working what what things you know what are working sorry what is working (laughs) my goodness so many ideas in my head (laughs) what is working for people and what isn't working and then following that thread um i think is subtle but it can make a huge difference you know like in in the business, one of the businesses that I'm currently working in, I'm having daily conversations with um, one of my, you know, the management team, and just allowing them to recognise how easy it is to empower different staff members um, to make choices, and sometimes allow them to fail, and sometimes allow them to make mistakes, but let them know that that's okay. It's better to try something and make a mistake and fail than not. And I think a lot of people have been trained to be a certain way in business or, or to think that they have to get things right, that they're so scared to think outside the box. They're so scared to, you know, try new ideas or even voice their opinions or even say, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. How do I fix it? And so that unknowingly, that actually holds a business back. It holds a project back. And, you know, we're using business as an example here, but you can apply the same approach to relationships. How often yeah. do we want to get relationships right? And if we've done something that we regret, we we don't want to say sorry because nobody wants to admit they're wrong because we have to get everything right, you know? But once you start having these conversations and asking, hey, what's going on for you here? Like, what was this about? Like, how can we change this? What can we do different here? Like, what do we? what are we learning for next time from this thing that just occurred? And, you know, then you're moving things from blame and from an individual being right or wrong into the bigger picture of where is this business or where is this relationship? Where is this, I don't know, uh, whatever group or idea headed? And one thing that uh, neurodivergent people are fantastic at, even though they may not always know it, is actually having a bigger picture awareness. So they make for fantastic strategic managers, actually, they just don't know it because to them, they're overwhelmed with information and seeing all the things that could be Uh, improved, but then they're told that they should just focus on their their one task, which again, they're great at hyper-focusing. But once you start to ask people, hey, what do you see here? A lot of neurodivergent people will say, well, this is connected to this. And if this department does better here, then this would allow this. And you start to really um, be able to use all of that to your advantage. And again, put a lot of the focus on the business moving forward. And rather than, you know, looking at who did what wrong or what problems do we have to fix this time?
0: That is fantastic. Wow. That is so powerful, Diva. I mean, just the connectivity, right? Making those connections. Because that's uh, that again in my over three decades is um, you know, a skill or a competency that's that's lacking. All right, because yeah. it's become so complicated. There's a lot of things going on, globalization has hit us, technology, we're moving yeah. swiftly, et cetera. The people who kind of sit at a certain point and kind of understand how the mechanism fits together and the links is really, really powerful. And I understand exactly what you're saying for my relatives. I see it. I see right. it. That's, that was, that's fantastic. Wow. Okay. And so you're carrying a torch for for neurodiversity. Um, you start in businesses, do you start really from the ground up? And I'm talking about, you know, small and mid-sized businesses are the ones who are, you know, the plethora of, of you know the economy, so to speak. But you've also got the large businesses like Microsoft and Google are very intentional about, you know, this category of diversity inclusion as well. Right. And of course, there's a whole board of directors piece. So where do you start? You start with just like diversity, you know, diversity conversations, whether it's about race or gender or whatever. They start with day to day conversations at the grassroots level. But you also need influence from the board level and maybe yeah. the shareholder level, et cetera, where, where, where would Diva carry the torch? Where would you start?
1: <laughs> you know, um, I have some friends in Australia who are incredible. They they actually work with a lot of boards around Australia and globally, and um, they have been fantastic at, at <clears> really <throat> describing how we tend to have this idea that, you know, a board of directors is so far removed from uh a part-time employee you know to to give like a very extreme example that you know you have to approach them in such a different way and of course you know they're going to expect different information but one thing that will always get them and will always get them looking at their own choices is to ask them a question and i know i keep talking about the same thing but really it is so dynamic you know if you are the person in any room whether it be a board of directors or the cafeteria and you're asking them okay so how is this working for you gets them to look at it And they might say, well, this is the problem, the problem is this, okay, so if the problem is this, is it truly that, or is it something else behind it? Like what's actually going on here? And it gets them to think in a different way. Okay, so if there's something else behind it, then what other approaches have you not considered yet? Forget the ones you've considered, you know those results, there's no point in going over all of that. What have you not considered? What are some different ways of looking at it? And the simplicity in those questions is actually also incredibly empowering to the board of directors, because I think sometimes people need to know that even though they do not fit into the category of neurodivergency or neurodiverse people, it doesn't mean that they are completely far removed from them they are still people and we are all living in the same society and we experience the same government and the same news in the media and the same weather and the same earthquakes and the same everything, you know? So adding that creates a level of inclusivity that very often allows the directors to have their own ideas or to say, do you know what? I think this person would have a great idea. Let's have them lead this. But again, it puts them into a position where they're having to look of what's going on rather than us having to convince them of anything because you also got to trust that just because you know something about neurodiversity doesn't mean that you know you can go and kind of like force it onto people they need to also choose it and want it but also in a way that works for their company and again the best way that I have found is by going in and asking them whether it's an employee or a board of directors and just saying they are a person at the end of the day, they go home, they've got a family, they sleep in their bed at night, they get cozy under the covers. It's a regular person, you know, and if we start to address each other that way and, and really start to empower each other through questions and not just trying to give each other answers or say, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, it can create such different conversations.
0: Awesome. Beautifully. Well, well said. Thank you. Thank you for that. My, my, my wheels are turning. Diva. My wheels are turning. So, my last question before we move to the next round is: you know, as part of the diversity and inclusion um, awareness, um, unconscious bias is a, is is something that's that's really surfaced now, and there's a lot of conversation about unconscious bias. What would you say to a neurotypical person who may go in there? with, you know, and we all suffer from some level of unconscious bias, whatever that may be. Um, just say to them,
1: Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I guess it, you know, really depends on the situation, but I would, I would say something that would put them into question about what they're choosing to think or believe, um, because again, unless we're asking questions and you're just hitting your head against a wall. You know, you we can't change each other. We all know that. Me saying to you, hey Richard, you you think neurodiversity can be a gift? Well, it's not. let me show you why. That's not going to change your mind. Maybe it will, but you know, it's not really empowering. It's still me giving you my answer. But if I'm like, hey, what makes you think this? Yeah. Like for what reason are you saying, like, where did you get this from? Like, yeah. you know, where where did you buy that? Yeah. Is that truly your point of view? Like is that working for you? If it is, great. And then leave it alone. Because you know, it's really not about changing each other. It's about us all being more empowered to be who we are. I know it sounds cheesy, but it is because if you've got a group of empowered people, however different they are from each other, you're gonna get a lot further than if you've got, you know, half the population empowered and the other half thinking there's something terribly wrong with me. You know. So what if that were the focus more than anything? Us actually empowering each other. And then if some people are happy with the the beliefs and their biases and their judgments then let them be what if that's okay too you know but i would put my focus on on the people that are willing to have a um you know a wider perspective on what's possible in the world
0: beautifully said beautifully said so what type of careers would be better suited to to neurodiverse people in your opinion
1: oh, goodness oh, i think it depends on the person um Everybody's so different. Um, I would say a lot of uh, neurodiverse people have an incredible talent in in having a, a like being aware of a lot of things at the same time, which to them can feel like overwhelm. You know, when you're thinking like, and I've got to post this, and then I've got to go to the supermarket, and it feels like you've got fifty things in your head. And for most people, it's like that's a problem. And i'm thinking but is it though why is it a problem have you even tried to use that as an ability like have you even asked well what if i could be aware of 50 things on purpose consciously 50 things that would actually generate something you know 50 ideas what if i did that instead of just letting those other things be in my head like the washing machine and the bills and the traffic you know well if you can be aware of so many things that feel uncomfortable and overwhelming What if that's actually not bad at all? And so with that, you now have access to a lot of different jobs that you could be doing and perhaps several different things simultaneously, you know. Um, I know for me personally, if I'm just doing one fixed job, I will probably get bored out of my mind very, very soon, or I'll have the whole thing figured out within three months and then be on to the next career. But if I have three to five different completely unrelated projects going on, it's enough to keep my mind occupied to keep my creative juices flowing and to keep me just on top of everything enough that I'm not stressed but I am satiating that capacity to be aware of so many different elements at the same time only this time I'm doing it consciously not unconsciously so that could be anything from being entrepreneurial or from work working from home if that's what you prefer but perhaps with a few different companies you know, um, or if you really enjoy researching, then then do that. And if you know that you're going to get bored within three, three months and have certain things lined up. But I think essentially what you need to look at is what are you doing naturally every day that you don't need to change your fix, but that you can actually turn to your advantage that would make your life more interesting and more fun. Yeah, and then I... you can apply that to any career, of course.
0: Um. You know the major tech companies has been a major push, whether it's Microsoft or Google, etc, to really change your employment practices for more neurodiverse people. um and your in your background, I, I read that you were brilliant at school and and you got into business <laughs> intelligence at some point. Uh, you know I would have That's thought right. something like, and this is not this is not broad strokes for everybody. this is for yeah. you, but i would I would imagine it made sense to me. I said, you know, someone who's kind of been in the business intelligence world. And kind of spot trends and see things and the connections behind data and, and so on, right? Whether it's qualitative or quantitative, would be something that I think is fantastic. So, to me, it absolutely made sense that you were in that world, you know.
1: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know the other thing is we tend to think that we need to do the same thing yeah. forever, and I definitely fell into that. So when I you know, when I came across uh, Access Consciousness and I, I experienced so much change and relief, actually, in my whole world, I was like, wow, I'm okay. I'm not, I don't need to fix myself, which had been like my number one priority before. Suddenly my focus in life changed and I thought, well, what if I could share this with so many, like this could benefit so many people. But then I felt terrible because you're not supposed to leave your career, especially not a high-flying career, not one when you get paid that amount of money, you're working with heads of state, I was insane to have chosen that according to many people. But at some point you've got to realize that you might want to do things that are different and enjoy them. And I'd say that a way that, you know, you can be very supportive of people who are neurodivergent is to allow them to try different things and know that it's okay if they fail and know it's okay if they only want to do it for a set amount of time. And I'm not saying be flaky and don't commit to your life or to your job. I, I don't mean that at all because I am extremely obsessively committed to things you know but for however long it works for you because again if you have somebody who's willing to go let's use me as an example from the corporate world to this world say of self-development of empowerment of consciousness could I perhaps bring some skills from that other world into this one that most other people don't have who've only done this forever absolutely and so when you start to have that crossover you know as you know, over the next centuries, and I'm always kind of talking far out into the future, but really, if we have that bigger picture, then we're going to have a lot of amazing ideas and skill sets that start to like weave in with each other and contribute in many, many different ways. So I always say, you know, like, what is it that's actually interesting to you that makes you wake up in the morning and go, oh, yeah, that's. Let's get into this today. I I really can't wait to think my teeth into this. And then if that's not the thing anymore, then what do you have to change? It doesn't mean throw away the baby with the bathwater heating to quit your job, but what could you be changing in what you're doing that day? Or how could you make the process faster? Or could you improve things in a different way? Or add something else to it that would expand what you're choosing? And so even just that change in mentality um, with your current job or you know, a future career that you might be planning on or considering um, can really add a lot of value.
0: So, and and would you provide any advice on how employment practices need to be changed?
1: Uh, Yes, by considering change (laughs) a lot more often than they consider sameness really, and valuing change, uh, not just for the sake of change, not because I've started a new job as a manager and now i'm going to change the way the office is arranged so i feel like i'm implementing something new. No, not in that way but actually as a whole as a mission and a vision for the business and for companies in general i would say what if we start really looking at change as a valuable product and then who are the people that can come in and and institute that change uh easily because although neurodivergent people do like sticking to plans and trust me i hate it when somebody changes my plans in the middle of the day i'm like no now my vision of the day, the way I visualize it is completely different like how day you've got to recalibrate everything you know but then you get over it quickly but but you know that about yourself you know whereas for other people it can be a lot harder and a lot longer process because they haven't had to deal with that every day. Um, and so if you do have this group of people who are more comfortable with change while well, thinking that they're not, but they actually are because they're having to deal with it every day, then how do you use that to really, expand out in so many different directions you know whether it's more profit more you know revenue whether it's uh different ideas whether it's reaching new audiences who knows
0: thank you for that diva thank you all right we'll go through a few of the quick rounds here um but that was fantastic (laughs) that was the the gist of our conversation and you 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 did a fantastic job i'm i could talk to you for hours Diva. just so you know i am just like a sponge and and absorbing all this (laughs) fantastic Fantastic. Thank no, you. Really kind, well done. What would you change in any era of life, not just business?
1: What would I change? Like personally or anything. in the world? Anything. Like world peace kind of kind of anything. question? Anything. Um, anything.
0: <laughs> anything.
1: um, I'd say it would be really great to have a world where people just judged themselves a lot less. Perfect. That's what I would change.
0: Perfect what are you grateful for not just in any in any area of life not just business
1: all oh, the people that are in my life i couldn't have been luckier
0: awesome <laughs> great answer all right the quick round um as i said i've got relatives all right um so what is your advice for parents of neuro neurodiverse family members
1: um just know that if you're child or your family member is different it's not because you've done anything wrong or because you should be doing anything different so many parents that i've worked with and really it's thousands over the last 14 years um often have this thing where they think oh god what did i do wrong like could i have done things differently you know have i affected them in a different in a wrong way or or why did I say this yesterday? Am I the cause of their upset? You know, just know that even though somebody is neurodivergent, they are still making their own choices. And, you know, what if we're all doing the best that we can with the tools that we have at the time? Um, and that once you start to go easier on yourself, it, it also teaches them to go easier on themselves. Because I think as people, we don't recognize enough that we learn not just by what people around us are doing, by, but by how they're being actually, their energy and their their emotional reactions to things is really what we actually essentially take with us a lot more than just the doing. And so if we start to be a lot kinder to ourselves in that sense and go, okay, well, that happened. What was right about that? And what can I what can I contribute today? What can I be today for everybody, for myself and for my family? It starts to really create a different focus um, where it's not so much like looking for things externally, but you're now actually, I guess you know, taking charge more consciously of, of what you're being for yourself, which always will have a, a positive effect on the people around you.
0: So you you can help me out here, um, Diva, because, you know, in the conversations, family or not, um, even with friends who, you know, have new, neurodiverse kids, one of the first things that comes from people's mouth is, well, it's important for the parents to accept it. Yeah. So, Tell 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 me tell me what that means and, and your response to
1: that. Well, I would ask the person, what do you mean by that? Yes. Because yes. because also we we just take those things at face value and we go, Oh, you said I've got to accept. Okay, but what does that mean? Acceptance to me could mean something entirely different than it does to you. Yeah. So what are we yeah. actually talking about? Yes. And whatever what, what about that is relevant? Because maybe it's relevant to the person saying it, but maybe it's not relevant to you. You know, so again. We want to start really questioning things, not from a defensive uh, standpoint, but but from a curiosity of, okay, maybe there is something here for me, but rather than just going, okay, I've got to accept it. What does that mean? Do you mean I need to incorporate something? I need to just give up on trying to change things off it? Like, what does that mean? You know, so I would say if if you've been told that or you feel that way, start asking yourself, well, what would acceptance be here. And if I didn't have to accept, because accept somehow has like a sense of I'm giving up. I've got yeah. my hands up here. Like whatever, yeah. it's done, you know, let it be what it is. Which I guess is nice, but it always is a bit sticky because it's always in the back of your mind and you and you kind of still want to do something about it. But then you're like, well no, I've given up. There's always like a bit of fight and resistance. So I would ask if I was in allowance here, which means I'm not judging any of it. This could go up, it could go down, it could go sideways and none of those states need to be permanent because they could change at any moment, I could change at any moment. But if I were an allowance, if I were not judging any situation here, what choices would I make right now? Would I continue speaking to my partner or my wife or my kids this way? Would I continue, I don't know, communicating this way at work? Or would I continue judging myself enough that I don't have to step up and speak up and give my ideas? Like what would I choose if there were no judgment, if there were no right or wrong way to be here? What choices would I have? Now, what that does is it puts you in a place, again, of control, but conscious control, because you're now going, okay, that's great that you've told me to accept it and you've told me keep fixing it and you've told me keep searching for answers or whatever. Those are all great viewpoints, but actually what's my viewpoint? What works for me and my family, you know? And maybe what worked last week isn't gonna work today because circumstances and situations change. So as long as you're doing that every day and asking yourself, not necessarily as a routine but you know just having that question in your yep. world at all well, then i think what starts to happen is you start to actually create a relationship with the neurodivergent person in your life that works for you it's that simple you know every relationship is so different and we tend to think this is a right relationship this is a wrong relationship but as long as your relationship works for you and the person that you're having it with whether it is your child whether it's, you know, you're a teacher and you're dealing with kids or with adults or you're a therapist, when you start to ask that, then you're also going to know that every day is different, but also you stop putting this blanket statement over the whole situation. And you recognize that if you have five neurodiverse people in your family, your interactions with each one of them is gonna be entirely different, just as with neurotypical people. Yeah, You won't speak to your best friend the same way you do to your boss. Or to your employees or to your next door neighbor, you know? So, you know, what if we start to apply that a lot more to this rather than thinking that the way to understand it is to give a rule and go, well, just accept it, deal with it. You know, well, would you accept it if you had an upset with your partner or your spouse? Or would you go, hey, I know we communicate in different ways, but can we we look at this? Can we talk about this? You know, and that may not be the exact conversation that you have, but what is a way that you can have that conversation? Could you ask them, hey, how are you doing? Like, how is this for you? How did you perceive that? Because for me, it was a bit weird. Are you okay? Or did it create any weirdness? You know, like ask them questions. And what will happen is it will get them to look into their world and go, oh, yeah, maybe that was weird. Maybe that's not normal. Thank you so much for asking me. I can't believe you've asked me. Now I can put my barriers down and we can have a talk about this. So it it tends to create this um, connection and communion with people that is very different if you're willing to ask. Right. which is a very long answer to your question, Richard. Oh, I brilliant. You. I love
0: it. I love it. Eva. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so so depending on where, um, and we're talking about children now, particularly on the spectrum, let's say, and let's say they're further on, uh, you know, along the spectrum here, the going can get tough for families. I've seen it in my wow. family. I've seen it um, with friends and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and it go the, the going gets tough even with neurotypical kids. Um so what would be your advice when the going really gets tough for parents of kids who are in the in the neurodiverse category? What would be your advice to them?
1: Um, I would say don't give up. Just take one more step. Not one more step towards fixing them. Not one more step towards getting things right. Like, But just take one more step. Whether it's just saying... I need to go and have a bath for an hour. Just take one more step. You know, Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the relationship, on the situation. Um, because very often when you're about to give up, it's actually just when you've exhausted all of those possibilities that you know. But what if that could be the beginning of you asking, well, what else haven't I considered? Which might be the possibilities that actually truly create change.
0: Wow. I'll let that settle for a few seconds, David, that's absolutely <laughs> beautifully said. That's absolutely beautiful, Sid. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, last few questions, I promise, but I, I, I can keep going. By <laughs> the way. I've said that two or three times already. I'm so okay. waiting enough to know that yeah, I'm going to keep going. Even I said we're, we're almost close to the end. <laughs> no problem.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> if you can wave the magic
0: wand, what is your hope for the neurodiverse population?
1: Oh, that they um that they know how valuable they are.
0: Yeah. And that
1: they that they embrace themselves. Um, and again not from this false sense of proving to anybody like I'm great, I'm amazing. Because often if you're saying that to yourself, it might be because you actually don't believe it, otherwise you wouldn't say it. Like I don't need to walk around going, I have curly hair, I just do um, you know, and so but really knowing within themselves that they have value. And just because it doesn't look the same way that it does for other people, doesn't mean that they're not valuable, that their skills aren't useful and that they can't be a contribution. Um, not just a contribution to jobs in the way that everybody else does life, but just in the world in general, You know, most of the people that I know who are neurodivergent, particularly the ones who are less functional in society actually, have an incredible incapacity to judge. Which I find to be one of the most just wonderful things in the world. Because if you can be around somebody who just isn't judging you, and I'm sure you probably experienced this with your families, you know, as I'm saying it. And you're there, and this person's just like, hi. Yeah, you think you're terrible. Yeah, you think you're not attractive enough. Yeah, you think you should be taller and skinnier and whatever. Okay, great. I really couldn't care about those things because those societal things that are so important to everybody have absolutely no meaning to me. Hi, how are you? That, I mean, what a gift, you know? And when you're around somebody like that, what does it do? Does it make you close up and, and, you know, get depressed or does it make you go, wow, you know, I'm okay too. Like it creates a different sense, doesn't it? And so if we, if we can be that more and if neurodivergent people can be that more for themselves, like what could that create? And I know that's a bit of a romantic idea, but you know, I've seen it in everyday life. It's just that I've seen it with some people. Now I'm like, come on, let's, let's come on for the millions and the the billions of us it could
0: be out there <laughs> of course, absolutely how should we learn more about neurodiversity and interrelationships with them
1: Um. again asking them
0: asking them, yep
1: yeah, you know because we want to be like oh let me learn about you so I'm going to go on Google bye, I want to learn about you Richard but instead I'm going to go ask Google, I'm not going to ask you why not I've got you directly in front of me why would I not ask hey Richard so how are you seeing this what colors are you seeing here how did you hear that thing because I heard it okay but for you it freaked you out was it super loud does it have an effect on your body tell me give me some information here like because I don't get it you might think that I get it but I don't could you explain it to me you know or how many ideas do you have right now or if you are speechless is it because you don't have anything to say or do you just have so many ideas you don't know how to put them in words in an order that would make sense to most people like Like, what's going on for you? So, you know, we're so used to, again, being like, well, let me go and find out from the doctor what is going on here. But we've also got these people around us, so what if we actually ask them?
0: Yeah. And and that would be your parting advice uh, for us to better understand the neurodiverse population would be the same advice, would you say? Yeah?
1: Yeah, I'd say to better understand. And if we actually have the courage and intelligence at all, perhaps to better learn from them a thing or two.
0: Absolutely. Last question, what is your parting wisdom advice for the neurodiverse population?
1: (laughs) You are so much better than you think you are. And just because you think you're messed up doesn't mean you're right about that.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. That is awesome. Diva, I can't say enough. I mean, this was such an easy conversation. You're a beautiful soul, I can tell. I mean, this is just wonderful. I can tell you're carrying the torch for um, a, a, a movement which... The whole world needs to understand and needs to be part of, and uh, you're elevating humanity in your own way. So it's thank you uh, so this much, is fantastic. Roger. I appreciate your courage and vulnerability and your authenticity, first and foremost. But this has been a fantastic conversation. You will, for sure, change your lives. I'm hoping that this can be listened or seen um, in every boardroom, in every business, in every part of society, because this is this is so important. So thank you, thank, thank, thank you, you for so sharing much. what you've
1: Thank you for your questions and your time and and for having me on. It's been very wonderful.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You all the very best here, Eva. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Thank you. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.